Welcome to your Truth Reveal podcast, helping you experience empowered healing. I'm Erica Marcoux, and with a master's in counseling psychology, I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview helping professionals to explore your hidden physical and mental health potential. This episode is titled Know Your Depression with Zach Rutledge. He's the author of the official depression relief playbook that provides help for those who suffer from depression. He shares his years of battling anxiety and depression and presents the top tier lessons on how to overcome suffering. Medication and therapy are the West's gifts to the world. The East's gifts are yoga and martial arts. I feel like we should be taking the best of both worlds. Zach is in the Movement Counseling Master's Program at Ryder University in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. He's a certified personal trainer, a fitness nutrition specialist, and a brain health trainer. He's a yoga instructor and has a black belt in karate. Listen as Zach shares his personal experience with depression and shares his straightforward techniques that truly help. Zach, I'm glad that you are here today. I'm glad that you reached out to me and that we have this opportunity for you to share. And you're here to help listeners learn ways to overcome depression from your own personal experience. Thank you for being here, Zach. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor. So you have a true insider's look on depression. What is your personal story? Looking back at my childhood, there were no like capital T traumas. I grew up in a quote unquote normal household. We never even moved and it was very stable. It wasn't until I was a little older and I kind of gained the insight that I could see that there were a few chemical things going on as a kid and especially as a teen. I took breakups a little harder than normal. I just kind of thought I was a moody punk rocker because I was a musician. I just figured that's the way I was wired and that was the end of it. But it wasn't until I was. 18. So it was the summer after high school. I hit the perfect storm, I call it. My best friend was killed. All of my friends were leaving for college. And my karate school closed, which was another support system there. I had been doing karate since I was 10 years old. And there tends to be this pattern. I don't like speaking in absolutes, but in general, a lot of the time, late teens, early 20s, quirks, let's say, tend to manifest. Things like OCD, depression, anxiety, things like that. So that clobbered me right around that time. So this all happened within about a month. Oh, wow. That's quick. Yeah, yeah. So that was the big drop-off. Really from there, it was a brick-by-brick building myself back up for about a decade. And I say was because I feel like I really got a handle on it. And I speak in past terms because I don't feel like I'm struggling anymore. However, I still do the work. And that's why you're not struggling. You learn these ways to cope and to heal. Right, exactly. What were some of the things that you noticed during this drop-off that happened when you were 18? This sounds weird for anybody who hasn't had depression, but it feels like all the color went away. It feels like everything just vanished. When you're a kid and you see certain color palettes, You would think spring or you would think Christmas when you would get certain feelings that go along with it. All that was gone. That's really the best way to describe it It was all of the the color disappeared. It almost felt like that movie Pleasantville. Pleasantville is a 1998 movie where two teenagers enter into a black and white TV program. 
They unexpectedly bring color into their drab existence when they connect with the essence of who they really are. It takes place in this 50s TV show. And then as their minds expand, one color will pop up and then another color will pop up. So that's kind of how mine felt. I'm seeing these colors again. And then you also mentioned that you were a moody punk rocker. Yeah, yeah. That was another way I could tell that things weren't quite right. After my best friend was killed, I attributed a lot of these deep pits of despair to grief. But grief is something different. Grief is something we have to go through. Grief is the price you pay for love. Great quote, right? I remember being at work and going through these really deep spells of like uncontrollable crying, but it felt different. It felt cleaner. That was grief. And that was something I had to go through. That's something everybody has to go through. But there's also, in a way, there's an end point to that. After a while, I was still in this deep depression. And I kept attributing it to, you know, the loss of my best friend. And at a certain point, it was like, this is different. I feel like I've grieved for that. And I remember I played CBGBs, which is punk rock mecca. That's like where Blondie and the Ramones and Talking Heads and all those guys came up. CBGB's was a New York City music club that opened in 1973. That was a a dream of mine my entire life. And I played CBGB's and we were playing a real show. It was a big concert with big bands. And we were the opening band. I played there and I went and sat in the van, just miserable, just just totally folded into myself. And that was another big wake up call. Yeah, I've really got to turn this around. Something really serious is going on here. At first, when I was suffering really bad with depression, it didn't matter what time it was. I I never really felt awake. I never really felt asleep, which, again, sounds weird. But if you've lived it, you can understand that. But after I started to get a handle on some things, uh, I don't want to say coping mechanisms with depression. After I felt like I was conquering a lot of things, late at night, things would really get difficult. I remember that was the marker, 8 p.m. Things would start to pull me down again. And it was like my brain was running my mind. Really, we're our minds. And the brain is the organ. And that felt like more like a chemical thing. I don't know if it was my testosterone dropping around 8 p.m., which I know happens with men. But thoughts turning towards all the negative things. Our brains, the organ, are wired for negativity. The theory is when we were cavemen, it was more advantageous to be wary of the saber-toothed tiger. That was the instant danger And it it wasn't until way later in my journey that I started taking medication. That was actually the last step. That's where medication really helped me. When I talk about the brain taking over the mind, there's this great old Cherokee story. I'll paraphrase it. The grandfather's explaining to the grandson that there are two wolves that live inside of us. There's the fear wolf and the courage wolf. And the courage wolf is things like love, ambition, positivity, courage, of course. It takes a little bit of work. The legend continues. The grandfather says the fear wolf is anger, self-pity, resentment, and ego. The grandson asks, which wolf will win? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. What was your turning point and what depression relief strategy was most effective for you? I realized something is really wrong here and I couldn't focus and things were really spiraling out of control. I said, I've really got to focus on something for half an hour. I can do that. What's half an hour? TV. 
what's the best thing to watch? And I made the worst possible choice. I started watching the news. And I quickly realized I don't need to know about every murder in the tri-state area. But at the time, I thought it was a great choice. I was like, hey, well, smart people watch the news. I'll start watching the news. Well, that didn't work out too well. It wasn't until after that I was playing in a band with these guys who really liked working out. And working out for me was a byproduct of the martial arts I had done. I never worked out for the sake of working out. I should put things in context here. I'm currently 5'9 and 170 pounds. I'm a personal trainer and I work out six days a week. And that's to say that I'm not carrying around extra weight. At the time, when I was really depressed, 5'9, 124 pounds. So I was almost 50 pounds lighter. And that's significant. That's underweight for a man. Yeah, it's definitely underweight. And I was getting sick a lot. And if I had gotten seriously sick, there was nowhere for me to go. It wasn't a wake-up call. I was following mainstream advice where everything is lose weight, lose weight. And I, I didn't take into account, I have a different body type. And understanding that with depression, anxiety is a physical illness. So it's a brain health issue. I've struggled with anxiety and I lose weight. My body shuts down. Yeah, in a way, that's how it feels. So like I said, I'm playing in this band with these guys who worked out and they were introducing me to real simple exercises because I was coming from such a, a low weight. Muscle packs on fairly quickly. But the thing about it was I noticed that I could make a change and a positive change and I was learning new things and I was having fun. And that was the first building block. That was the turning point. I was like, wow, I can make a difference in my life. I thought my lot in life was being skinny and sick all the time. It made me realize that I have some kind of power. And I had the wherewithal to know that this was a healthy change. Movement and physical activity are the main coping mechanisms and relief strategy. That's really where I started things. The practice here is choosing the right foods and choosing the right movements and getting all that in order. It's something that we can change for the better. Yeah, the empowerment factor. I think what can be so difficult with depression is that it's internal and it's hard to see it. If you broke your leg, I can see how you're sick from breaking your leg and you can watch that mend. With a mental illness, there's nothing to see. It's just an internal experience and feeling that's not always obvious to your support system. And in a way, it carries its own stigma because we can't see people with diabetes. I have a friend with diabetes, and that was not even a thought in his mind to not take his diabetes medication. He didn't mull over it for months at a time like I did when it came to taking medication for depression. And it's totally accepted by everyone for people with diabetes to take some medication to sort it out. At what stage did you decide to take medication? Oh, it was a last step. It was 10 years in. It was a long time. The medication absolutely helped. That was the last brick. And I'm happy I did. Makes things a lot easier. What were your hesitations about getting on medication? Because I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this podcast may be in the same situation. I know I hesitated again and again, actually. <laughs> yeah, right. I was operating from this info I had from who knows how long ago. You go on medication and you're on it for the rest of your life. You can never come off of it. Or you're going to feel like a zombie. Or it's going to kill your sex drive. I should say I had some side effects at the beginning. 
but I, I was lucky enough to have this really great primary care doctor. She's the one who finally recommended it to me. And she said, your body will adjust, hang tight. I would hear from all these people, their experiences about medication. They didn't like the way it made them feel. And I said, well, how long were you on it? And they'd be like, oh, three days. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> you've got to give it time. One thing that I want to say about medication, it takes at least six weeks for your body to really start adapting. And I would say six weeks to six months, because you're not going to really know how your particular body is going to respond. So it is a long-term adjustment for your body to start changing how it reacts to serotonin or dopamine or all these other neurotransmitters. Yes, absolutely. And I'm glad you said six months because some people think after one month that their body can adjust and it can't. I had insomnia that went away after a week and a half-ish. My longest lasting side effects, I had this weird feeling in my jaw, almost like I was about to yawn. And it wasn't all the time. It was an intermittent thing. That lasted about six months. But again, really thankful I did it. I'm glad that you mentioned that. I believe that half the treatment is counseling on the one hand. The other part of that is medication or supplements, lifestyle changes. What is your opinion? Yeah. Medication and therapy are the West's gifts to the world. The East's gifts are yoga and martial arts. Tell me more about that. I think that is so well put. Thank you. <laughs> we tend to fall into these camps that I've noticed anyway. They are hard science, Mayo Clinic, <laughs> mainstream, and they eschew anything what they deem woo-woo. But I know firsthand where these massive changes that I could make within myself came from martial arts. They came from the East. And it seems natural for me to blend the two. I work at a yoga studio where they're all about the alternative treatments, when really, I feel like we should be taking the best of both worlds. It's one world. Take the best of both, though, and, and meld them together. Yeah, I've even heard about medication versus meditation. I was doing all the right things, eating right, exercising, meditating daily, doing yoga, acupuncture, energy work. It wasn't enough for me because there's a genetic component that all those wonderful modalities are not going to touch. Absolutely. If I don't take care of that, none of the other things work. I agree. Try everything. And I should say that there is no silver bullet, even if you came at it from the other end. I have a great friend who has really bad anxiety, finally went on the medication after being begged by his doctors. We were talking and he's like, I feel better but I'm not all the way there. I was like, well, yeah, dude, you got to do the work. I would argue that what you did still helped on your journey. Absolutely. Because I had the same journey as you. I came at it from those sides first as well. I would argue that without those, you'd be in a far worse place. They did play a role, but we see the magic of melding the two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that continual education, I can keep learning and keep trying different things. I'm motivated to feel happy and get as much as I can out of this life. And you talk about mindset and how important that is. And you mentioned working towards personal development. Yeah, we're always sharpening the sword, so to speak. And by that, I mean, the work on ourselves never ends. In some martial arts, they call it polishing the mirror. And you never get to a totally clear mirror, right? You're always working on it. You can see yourself a little bit better. 
Mm. Always sharpening the sword. I play bass and uh, guitar. Any true musician will say that they will never be the master of that instrument. Any true martial artist will never say they are a, a karate master or a kung fu master. In fact, when I got my black belt, what they said to everyone who got their black belt, they said, congratulations, now you're a beginner. They were right. And enjoying that process of sharpening the sword. I keep playing music and I keep making films because that's working on me. It took a while to get there because my arrow was pointed outwards at first. I thought if I become a college grad, then I'll feel whole. That came and went, uh, I don't really feel whole. I said, okay, well, maybe if I become a personal trainer, then I'll have this extra feather in my cap. Well, then I'll feel whole. Became a personal trainer. Uh, that's not doing it either. It wasn't until I actually started working with clients. I was building these really great relationships and helping them. I realized I had to turn that arrow inward. There's a lot of ego, I think, that our culture emphasizes putting that feather in your cap. And you keep going and going. And that's our definition of success. When you started working with clients, for me also, realizing that you can't lead someone where you haven't been yourself. Oh, absolutely. And they know it. They know the difference. Yeah. And I feel like this is an important point. When I was 19, I tried therapy, didn't like it. Again, a few years later, went to a therapist. He was okay. He moved, gave me to a woman who was very clinical. That lasted half a session. I was like, this isn't going to work. It wasn't until my fourth therapist where it really worked because he had lived it. He understood. And we connected. To your point, having someone there who has lived it made our relationship that much deeper and that much more fulfilling and useful. And real. Yes. And real. I tell people all the time, interview therapists. Most of them will give a free consultation. Meet with them. Talk with them for 20 minutes. You're interviewing them. As much as they're interviewing you to make sure that it's a good fit, because not every therapist can work on every single issue. It's not realistic to have that expectation. Interview four to five different therapists. See if it's a good fit. If it's not, go ahead and move on and keep at it. The thing is, if you give up on your treatment, you're giving up on yourself. Keep seeking out and trying to find your support system, the people that can help you. All of that is so important. You hit the nail on the head. It's your responsibility to build that. It's like you're the manager of the team and you can't put everything in one person. It's unfair to the other person, whether they're your spouse or even your therapist. I was expecting people to come by and save me. It doesn't work that way. And that's where it's so important to ask for help and not try to do it all on your own because it's not going to work. Which is the reason we're doing this. We're trying to get the stigma out of the picture and make this more open. There should be no shame in this. And I tend to tell people that there is no silver bullet when it comes to depression. I really believe that putting all of these things together is what really helped me. There's no single cause. There are theories out there that depression is caused by gut issues. I believe that's some of it. It's not all of it. You actually have 90 to 95% of your serotonin created in your gut. People are actually being prescribed probiotics to get their gut health in order. Another reason why getting your diet dialed in, getting an allergy test, getting that microbiome sorted out can really help. People out there are saying depression is brought on by inflammation. That's why I tend to talk about the diet, even supplements. I love turmeric. Get that inflammation down. 
I believe part of it, not all of it. Because of course, there could be traumatic issues. But when you start working on all these at the same time, I feel that's how we're going to get somewhere. And even if something only makes a 10% difference, hey, made a 10% difference. Now let's combine that with something else that makes a 10% difference. We're going to start feeling better. You say also, which I agree, that depression can be genetic, it can be chemical, or it could even be a physical issue or all of them. It could be brought on by an underlying illness that you don't know about. That's why it's so important, and I emphasize to get a physical, find out if there's any underlying issues that need to be treated. Absolutely. I agree with you. What are practical steps someone can take to lift them out of depression? One tool I love to employ is a simple paper list, which is essentially two lists. One side is things that I would like to do every single day, habits I want to build. For example, every morning, I like to start by drinking a tall glass of water. And I have water written at the top of my list. I drink water, and then I cross it off. And I love that. And then meditation. I see it, I cross it off. On the other side of the paper, I have long-term goals. Projects I'm working on, things that I have to do that are specific to that day. For example, I'm making a film. Today, I have find this actor for this role, but I've also broken it down into micro goals, which I also think is really important. I can't write, make a movie on my list and then cross it off. Something about bringing it into the physical world makes a huge difference. One of the most important things is writing it down, taking it out of your head and into the real world. Yeah, it makes it tangible and it declutters things. At the end of the day, I don't throw away my piece of paper. I actually put it on my nightstand. And even if I only got through half of the things on my list, I can say to myself, wow, these are some concrete victories. I can see the progress. It's a really nice way to finish out your day or even just keep the flame lit throughout your day. I almost view it like a pilot's list. So if something goes wrong with their plane, they're not trusting their gut and thinking back in their mind like, oh, what should I do here? And haphazardly fiddling around. A pilot has a checklist. And they say, is it this? No. Is it this? No. Is it this? Yes. Did it? Done. Right? If I'm going on throughout my day and it's going a little haywire or whatever, I go back to my list, get myself back on track. I'm not running around like a chicken with a head cut off. I, I go back to my list, get myself back on track. And it really helps sharpen my mind. Mm-hmm. It's that mindfulness. It's that focus. It's that discipline. Lastly... How do you specifically train people to have healthier brains? And how does this impact depression? Yes, I'm a certified brain health coach. I train people's brains. As we get older, there tends to be a cognitive decline, right? The whole idea of this brain trainer thing is we're trying to keep our minds as sharp as possible. Our brain is physically growing, (laughs) not necessarily in volume, but in density. They call it neurogenesis. You're actually building more neurons. And angiogenesis, you're actually building more blood vessels. Balance is a really great thing for your brain. We do balance drills. We do coordination exercises. Learning how to juggle is a really great thing for your brain. Then there are things you would expect, like reading. Where the magic happens, though, is when we start combining these things with physical activity. Pickleball, it's all the rage in the senior centers right now. So it's smaller than tennis, but bigger than ping pong. So it's played standing and the ball you hit is like a wiffle ball. And the rackets are like oversized ping pong paddles. So it's not on a table, you play it on a court. 
amazingly effective in building brain health. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? Yes. This tends to fly under the radar, but if you are suffering from depression, it's important to practice forgiveness. And of course, practicing forgiveness with yourself. I had no problem forgiving myself. However, it was more difficult for me to find forgiveness for other people because other people are going to say stupid things. They're going to because they don't understand because they can't understand. And you have to realize that when they say it could be worse, what they're trying to say is practice gratitude. But how I took that was, you mean it can be worse than this? (laughs) Like, I want it to be better. Practice that forgiveness. That's not your weight to carry around. I don't think that the general public really understands mental illness and what it actually is. It's not a character flaw. It's not something that you can necessarily control. And maybe all your coping mechanisms and strategies are not working. Absolutely. I met with a woman and she clearly didn't understand. And she said, oh, that's what I would tell them. Just tell them to snap out of it. Tell them to man up. I talked about how yelling at someone to snap out of it isn't really a great tool. And we had to agree to disagree there. Yeah. (laughs) Zach, thank you for making it your deepest personal mission to help anyone fighting with depression. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and I love what you're doing. I'm a fan and I feel like conversations like this are really important. You're absolutely fighting the good fight. Thank you so much. I want to take a moment to talk about Zach Rutledge's book, The Official Depression Relief Playbook, Real Life Strategies from a Guy Who Has Lived It. Born out of experience, this book details the effects of conventional, non-conventional, and unexpected treatments, providing a D-Day approach to battling this incessant affliction. The book provides a defined action plan which attacks depression and anxiety on the physical, mental, and emotional levels. Simple, actionable, and concise, this book will save you years of struggle and provide you with a shortcut to the life you deserve. The official Depression Relief Playbook is truly an insider's look on depression and how to beat it. To purchase Zach's book, go to yourtruthreveal.com store. Please subscribe and add a rating and review at Your Truth Revealed on Apple iTunes. There are also great resources in the show notes. For more learning, download free guidance on my website, yourtruthrevealed.com slash listen. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.